Hello, my dear listeners, and welcome to anybody who's new. I'm sitting in my bedroom on a Wednesday afternoon and sitting in this really sweet, diffused light. I have two sets of blinds, one that's kind of a blackout accordion blind that I use at night and on on one of the windows. I usually leave two open. And then there's another set that's bamboo that still lets in a lot of light, but just diffuses it, changes the ambiance. And I decided today that I, I, well, I I just wasn't feeling like sitting in brightness and I have to say it feels so good. We have these patterns of thought that, or um, of speech rather that, um, when I slow myself down to think, is that actually what I mean? It often isn't, but they're just kind of like shorthand for us. I think culturally kind of like when somebody says, how are you? And you say, good, how are you? If you're not wanting to engage or if the needle is somewhere near neutral or high, um, or you, for whatever reason, I think we have this habit of kind of choosing from maybe five responses and good or okay, or whatever being one of them. So Similarly, I was just going to say, I think it's, you know, it, it's ama- it amazes me or it's amazing how much quality of light can impact my experience, my state of mind, my state of being. But as I went, as that was going through my mind, getting close to my mouth, I thought it's not amazing to me, but how do I remark on this without saying it's amazing? Because it's amazing is just one of those kind of shorthands. So I think for now, I'll just say the quality of light really impacts my experience, my state of being, my feelings. This is something I know. It doesn't amaze me anymore, if it ever did. So I'm sitting here in this really sweet afternoon light with looking at my bamboo shades And I've been thinking more over the past week about parts, parts of me, parts work, as I mentioned, as I called it last time, last episode. So I am living with my toddler daughter. She's 19 months old now. The two of us are living in my mom's house. The three of us share this house. And my family moved into this house when I was nine, I think. And I lived in it full-time until I was 15. Um, While day-to-day, it doesn't hold memories, or memories aren't a conscious part of my experience of this house most of the time. It's changed enough, and I'm in a different place in my life, and, you know, only one of my family members who was here then is here now, my mom. So it feels pretty different. Even like the trees all around our house are enormous. And when we first moved in, they were pretty young. So the view around our house is completely different. Um, The feeling of being in the house is different because now we're surrounded by these tall trees and and not these um, somewhat distant mountains because we just don't see the mountains now. Anyway, we're in this house. I moved in a month before my daughter was born. So... Um, you know, I've been here about 20 months and it's a small town. I grew up in a, for the most part in a 
really small town. And the community is made up of like three and a half small towns. Um, and always in the background of my thought, often in the foreground, are these questions about how long I'll be here with my daughter. I don't see myself raising her here. When I was growing up here, it felt too small. And there are some uh, peculiar aspects of the culture here that um, at least how I perceive them now, they don't align with my values and what I want to raise my daughter in, um, what I want her to soak in from the community. And in other ways, the community is really sweet and supportive. And it's been what we've needed at this point in our lives. But I'm always wondering, you know, our, our future is so open that these are questions that just kind of go through my mind. And I don't necessarily, I, it's not that I need answers. It's just feeling that openness and wondering what the future will look like. And also having this sense of desire to not be here long-term, but not knowing what not long-term looks like. I know, or at least my plan, if all goes according to plan, um, we will be living with my mom until I either make enough money, save enough money, or pay off enough of my student debt, or all of the above, hopefully, to feel comfortable moving out on our own, that I reach a place of feeling financially independent and have this sustainability in terms of supporting myself and my daughter and that we have enough of a foundation that I can choose where I want to live, that we can choose where we want to live. And it might still be, it might be to stay here where my mom is because that family support is invaluable. So we'll be here for a while. I'm not close to that point, to that goal yet. And I don't know, you know, I've made some loose plans, but really it's hard for me to know when I'll be able to hit that because my primary job is still taking care of my daughter. That's my 24-7 job. And I have about 10 hours a week where that isn't my job, where I give that job over to my mom. And 10 hours a week... I have to squeeze a lot into that and I don't know. And then I can steal sometimes, sometimes at night if I have the energy and my daughter is sleeping, I can sneak away into another room or another corner of our bedroom and do some work. But that fluctuates and I try not to put pressure on that to let myself sleep when I need sleep or to tend to my daughter when she needs tending to. So I don't know when I'll I'll hit those goals and these questions are always rolling around in me. And maybe most they're they're I'm most aware of them when I go out on a walk or when I'm driving through town because this sense of community of place is um more present than when I'm at home in my house. So the other day I was driving through town, not my town but the neighboring town about or one of the neighboring towns about 12 miles away. And I had just dropped my daughter off to go to an indoor um, playground with my mom. And 
that whenever I get in the car after, if I get in the car and my daughter's not behind me, but especially like if we have just taken a trip together and then she switches or I drop her off with my mom, I have the sense of loneliness looking in my mirror at the back seat and not seeing her there. So that's a little bit of context. I was feeling this acute sense of aloneness driving through this little town and this inner voice, you know, I I kind of felt a little low and this sense of growing up here, this sense of adolescence, the sense of the size of the community and the peculiarities of the community hit me hit me yeah i guess and i had this inner voice that said i'm drowning and i knew immediately like as that went through me that it wasn't i didn't have the sense that all of me was drowning but i did have a sense that a part of me like that as that sense hit me or that like angle of looking at the town as that connected with my mind's sight that felt like drowning And right after that, I thought, you know, but like this is parts work, a part of, or it it didn't hit in those words, but this is part of that way of seeing that a part of me feels like it's drowning. I I carry this experience internally while living here that feels like I am drowning in the smallness of it. Like I am trapped by the same limitations that I remember from being a kid and a teenager here. And that's what part of what I imagine if I play forward this idea of being a parent here and raising my daughter here, I feel those limitations. I feel like I'm drowning. Not right now, but there is a part of me experiencing that, part of me imagining that. While there is also a part of me imagining that I am soaring, that I'm not just at the surface of the water as opposed to drowning, but I am flying high above it. And I can feel that in the present too. And then I started, my mind started thinking about other binaries, other polarities that I feel. So I was thinking, you know, there's a part of me that's kicking ass and there's a part of me that has had my ass kicked freshly. I'm still on the ground, catching my breath. And then it started getting more nuanced. I realized, well, there's a part of me that is falling to the ground right now. There's a part of me experiencing going into this arena, going into the fight. There's a part of me that is looking back at the fight. There's a part of me that is wide open, a part of me that is closed and protected. There's a part of me that's in the process of opening. There are parts of me that are in the process of closing. There are parts of me that are growing and bringing in new energy. And there are parts of me that are letting go and releasing. There are parts of me that are butterflies, with wet wings that like I felt in the summer that are ready to fly away. Most of me right now feels pretty gooey. Like I am, I am the goo, the 
amorphous, gooey stuff between caterpillar and butterfly. And there are parts of me that are still caterpillar. I want to take a step in a different direction and I'll come back to that to give you an update. Early on, I want to say it was like episode six or so, I recorded an episode that I called Dating and Decluttering, I believe. And I I told you that I had just met somebody, a guy with whom I'd had this attraction and I wasn't sure if he felt anything romantic and was planning to talk to him about it. And I did, and it was mutual. And then I didn't tell you much. I don't know if I told you anything about it after that. I wanted to keep it private for a variety of reasons. Actually, I wanted to tell you everything, but um, unless you are somebody who is in my life aside from this podcast, if you know me outside of this podcast, I wasn't ready to tell you about it. Um. Yeah, so to my podcast listeners, to my only podcast listeners, I wanted I wanted to tell you all about it and there were reasons in my personal life that I wanted to keep that to myself. And so I don't want to go into detail still yet about it and I don't think it's important to go into detail, but I want to tell you that my my let's see, two months. So this person was, he grew up here, but we didn't know each other growing up. We kind of knew each other's families a little bit. So there was a little bit of familiarity, but not direct, not specific. So meeting as adults, when we met this summer, it was right as he was making the decision to move away after being here for a few years, he was making the decision to move away to start grad school. And he made that decision. I thought it was a great decision. I still think it was a great decision for him. I'm so glad he did. And that also put a fixed time constraint on our getting to know each other in person, living in the same place. But we did. We took as much time as we could each give as he was working to wrap things up here and get ready to move, I don't know, a thousand miles away or something. Um, And I was taking care of Mari and working to build my business, but we gave each other as much time as we could to get to know each other, to foster this connection, even knowing that it was ending in actually a little less than two months. Is that right? No, a little more than two months since the, from the day that we met. And then he left. We stayed connected by phone, but you know, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that dramatically changed the quality of our relationship, the quality of our relationship. We knew that would happen. We planned on that happening and we didn't have a label of any kind, but we knew that we wanted to stay connected and we stayed, we stayed in really frequent touch. I mean, in terms of talking on the phone. And then it just, the energy left it. Um, He shifted into avoidance and I was becoming more and more aware that it just wasn't needing my needs, even as a friendship, to be that connected 
um, in some ways and disconnected and detached and experiencing his avoidance in other ways. And so we, after a good chunk of time, came to a conversation where we acknowledged that and downshifted our relationship, our, our friendship again to where it is now, which is where my friendship is with most of my friends now, which is we reach out occasionally, but there is no um, frequent or routine connection. It was, I did feel some grief when he left. It was really sad and also really happy that he was going off to start this new career. And we left in like a, we had experienced a beautiful connection and it felt healthy and respectful. There was no abuse. There was no disrespect. Um, we were getting to know each other and ourselves in new ways together. And we had a very kind, sweet transition out, even if it was rather abrupt and not as, um, not as engaged as I would have liked, it was still kind and healthy. And I was able to feel avoidance in him in a way that I haven't been aware of in the past when I've been, and I've interacted with a lot of avoidance, a lot of patterns of avoidance and detachment and like over-intellectualization in other people and myself. But I think I felt it more acutely this time because my sensitivity is more honed. I have learned those patterns. I have learned more about those patterns in myself and in other people. And I am stronger than I ever have been, more grounded than I ever have been. And from that place, I'm able to see a whole lot more and more clearly than I ever have. And without getting hooked, you know, without getting clouded. Although, you know, I'm not saying it was without clouding. I definitely had um, emotions and past patterns kick up some dust, you know, in front of my perspective, in front of my lenses, but also just a tremendous amount of clarity. And that felt so good. So this felt like as, as hard as it was to feel some deep sadness and to leave each other after having this beautiful connection and then to slowly or like gradually distance from each other, I am still incredibly, it's not incredible. I am still deeply grateful for this experience and for having a healthy goodbye, a goodbye that felt good because that is not something that I've experienced much in my life, if at all. Good goodbyes, I want to cherish. And it's something that I really fostered as a therapist, especially with my child clients, you know, really trying to help the parents understand how important it was to give their children who were working with me the opportunity for what we called a therapeutic ending or a therapeutic goodbye. Because so often parents would just decide it didn't work anymore for schedule, like, you know, a sport was coming up or another activity or they were moving or something, and they would end therapy abruptly without a sense of how that impacted the child. So from the very beginning, when I first started working with a kid, I would talk to the parents about the importance of the goodbye whenever that came. But I would also do my very best to um, 
give adult clients and teen clients the opportunity for a therapeutic goodbye too. And for many, that was too scary. They, they ended abruptly because facing the ending was too difficult. And that, that's hard. Um, sometimes that would result in what we called an ambiguous loss, where you, as the therapist, um, would have questions about the client's feelings, why they left, why they left so abruptly, why they didn't come to their last session or two sessions or whatever. Um, or, you know, with a kid client, all of a sudden they would just not be on our schedule. And because we worked, I worked at an agency, not the whole time, I also worked in private practice for a while, but at the agency, if it wasn't me, if I didn't have the conversation with the parent about canceling and couldn't ask follow-up questions, I might never know why they ended abruptly. And ambiguous loss is hard. There are so many different types of endings. Ambiguity can make it hard in its own way. Um, but then, you know, they're just downright hurtful, painful, messy, hard goodbyes. We've all had at least one of those. I've had a ton. I've had a ton of ambiguous loss in my personal life and professional life. I've had a ton of really painful disrespectful goodbyes also. Um, So this was different. This stood out for so many reasons. How we entered into the connection, how we fostered it, and then how we, I want to say, dissolved it. And so this is all true. It felt really healthy. It felt really good and kind. And it, it did also kick up some debris in the ending of it. Um for me to witness and reframe. So like debris in terms of unhealthy attachment of stories that I've held onto from past relationships and past patterns, um, stories about myself and myself in relationships, stories about my impact on other people. These, this debris, this narrative debris, emotional debris got kicked up and, from this place of greater strength, I could witness it in a new way and reframe it, retell those stories, or redigest the facts, question even you know what the facts were, and then release it. So it really led to a um, against like some more moments of acute pain, but also acute healing. So I bring that up to reflect, to share, to give you an update, to express gratitude. And also to now go back to what I was talking about with this sense of um, being a collection of multitudes of all of these parts, internal parts of me, or just, you know, parts of me experiencing all of these different things at the same time, even when one or a few or a handful of experiences are more prominent at a given time. If I look for it, I will find a part that is feeling something something else. You know, there's, there's a part of me experiencing everything. Um, so there right now there is day to day, there's a part of me that is loving solo parenthood, reveling in it, really like cherishing it, savoring it and savoring this beautiful future that I imagine for myself and my daughter 
without specifics filling in, filling in, but just this sense of like, we are a household, we are a unit and just how sweet that feels and the strength in that of being a solo parent. And I, that feels so bright and shiny and exciting and inspiring. And it just fills me up with joy when I look at her. And there is also a part of me letting go of a dream of having a bigger family with somebody of having another biological child not to say that it's not possible but there's a part of me that is letting a letting go of a timeline for that um embracing the possibility that it won't happen you know i'm about to be 38 and my window of um, you know, risk goes up with pregnancy as you get closer to 40. And then after 40, it increases dramatically. Statistically, that doesn't mean it will for me, but statistically, that's what happens. Um, that's the statistical average. So there is a part of me that's letting go of that and that is grieving that dream and still grieving that, um, I think you know I think there's a part of me that ha- that did always dream of solo parenthood and there are parts of me that dreamed of having my own nuclear family of creating that with somebody with a loving partner and having um like choosing to be pregnant choosing to bring a child into the world with somebody and just the the epic love that I imagine comes along with that, making that decision with somebody and finding out you're pregnant and then bringing a baby into that family like that, that just, I mean, that's a cultural ideal that plays itself out through pop culture. Right. And so we've been exposed to that from really early on. And there is a part of me that imagines that for myself. And there's a part of me that is like, between these two extremes and beyond these two extremes of committed to solo parenthood for the indefinite future, open to meeting a partner at some point in my life and grieving this dream of a family, there's a part of me that's just saying, well, who knows? Could be anything. I just know what my focus is right now. I know what my values are. I'm getting clearer and clearer on those things. I am loving every day with my daughter. I am taking care of myself. I am feeling strong, all of these things. So it's the binaries and it's everything around and in between. And what it feels like overall is that it's it's not just about, I guess, yeah, beyond the binaries, it is about noticing and acknowledging these parts of us having all of these varied experiences, this kaleidoscope of experiences, attending to those feelings, those experiences, caring for these parts, witnessing them from a place of wholeness. So one phrase that comes to mind is core self. A lot of people talk about your core self. There is a sense of that here, although I don't fully connect with that with that phrasing. So I'd rather say from a place of wholeness that it's this sense of me, of this experiencing speaking me that is 
inclusive of all of these parts and beyond, bigger than all of these parts and emergent from all of these parts. So it's all of it and bigger and it's connected to the outside world. It's connected to everything. This place of wholeness is not just my wholeness, but our wholeness. It is the part of me that is you. It is the part of you that is me. It is the part of us that is us. It's the part of me, the part of us, the part of all of this, the sense of it that is all, the all, the whole, the oneness. So from that place of wholeness, I am witnessing these these experiencing parts, these experiencing selves. So instead of, you know, when I have an experience that threatens to overwhelm me or a sensation or a feeling, it could be a shift from, instead of, I am drowning, a shift to, I am caring for a part of me who is drowning. I am witnessing a drowning. I am reaching for a part of me who's drowning and pulling her, pulling him, pulling them out of the water. And I am letting go of a part of me who is drowned and grieving that part of me. So it's all of it. And you see how much that changes it from I'm drowning. I'm not drowning. I hope this helps you to see something that you've been experiencing or that you come to experience in the minutes, the days, the hours, the weeks to come a little differently, to, to see it a little differently, to feel it a little differently. If you feel yourself getting overwhelmed or pinned down by a feeling or floating away with a feeling and you want to bring yourself back to center or ground, try doing that. Try shift first identifying the feeling. So I am overwhelmed or I am angry or I am drowning or I am floating away. I am making a mistake. Two, I am caring for a part of me who is drowning, is angry, is floating away, is making a mistake, is overwhelmed. And see if that shifts it to a place of more possibility or even just like (sighs) lets you release some tension, bring a little bit of relief. See, See how that works for you. I'll talk to you soon. One last thing. The music in this episode is from the song Five by Sleeping At Last. I use it with the generous permission of Sleeping At Last. If you want to know more about the song and hear it in its entirety, go check out the Sleeping At Last podcast, episode number 13, called Five and the Enneagram. This episode was produced by me, and I appreciate you bearing with me as my skills develop. In the meantime, you get to hear a human being human, unedited, or minimally edited. You're welcome. More soon, Monica. Monica.